Hey everyone, welcome to New Slang. I am your host, music journalist Thomas Mooney. This is episode 104, where I am joined by Canadian singer-songwriter Kelsey Kulik. Kelsey put out a seven-song self-title last August, and I found myself returning to it time and again. What I really like about her songs is the pace of them. They're not all slow rollers, but that's really where I feel she's best. Like the opener, Roll With It, you feel that tension in the room. It's right after a blow-up between her and someone else, and she just really captures the mood. It's not even anger at this point either. She's kind of moved on from that mix of anger and hurt, and has transitioned into something that's where she's a little bit more despondent than anything else. She's just kind of over the entire situation, and you feel sinking into the back of her head, and kind of like as she's reading all the writing on the wall. She really has these nice pop sensibilities about her music. It's mixed with that late 90s kind of neon country glow. And she really bounces out those infectious popular hooks. Typically, the more poppy a song, the more broad in general the subject is. But she really doesn't do that in her songs. A lot of these songs, you can connect them to a specific moment or a feeling before we get right into the interview, I wanted to talk to you a second about podcasting and Buzzsprout. It feels like everyone has a podcast these days. It's been really great to see people use podcasting as a storytelling outlet and to find like-minded people. You may have seen New Slang take a really big jump this past year. And one of the main reasons has undoubtedly been transitioning over to Buzzsprout as my podcast host. They've really made all the quote-unquote unfun things about podcasting so easy. For starters, that's why New Slang is on every major podcasting platform now and why it's been so uniform and organized online. I've always enjoyed speaking with songwriters and bands and artists. That's a given. But now Buzzsprout has made it so much easier on the publishing side. So if you've ever been interested in launching your own podcast, I'd highly recommend Buzzsprout, which if you follow the link in the show notes, you'll be able to A, sign up with Buzzsprout, B, be given a $20 Amazon gift card, and C, help support New Slang. Again, that link will be in the show notes. If this is your first time listening to New Slang, hit that subscribe button. New Slang is on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and so on. Wherever you listen is more than fine by me. I really don't have a brand loyalty. But speaking of which, if you want to show off your New Slang brand loyalty, go ahead and hit the New Slang merch store up. I'll throw a link into the show notes, grab a koozie, some stickers, some magnets, and so on. Okay, that about does it with this intro. Here is Kelsey Kulik. Um, all right, so I guess like for a lot of my listeners and a lot of people that uh, pay attention to what I do, they probably would recognize your voice based off of you being on a song with Dalton Domino. That's probably like their intro into you. And that's really like where I first heard you. Um, okay. How, how did you, I guess, how did that get set up? How did you wind up being on that record and, um, singing on that song with Dalton. Yeah, I know. It's really random because I, I had only met Dalton uh, once before and it was at a songwriter's round actually in Nashville, Tennessee. And he had played and I was like, man, this guy's so good. Uh, hi, my name's Kelsey Kulik. Nice to meet you. Um, you know, and it was pretty much like a high and by thing, just kind of like exchange, like great job. And uh, then a mutual friend of ours a few months later 
uh, reached out to me with Dalton on email and said, hey, Dalton is looking for um, a female to sing on this song with him. And I think that, you know, you would be a really good fit. And so, you know, uh, Dalton and I exchanged a few emails and, you know, he asked me if I wanted to be on the song and I was like, absolutely, I would love to. And so that's pretty much how it happened. It was, you know, it was kind of like we didn't even like record because I was in Nashville and he was in Texas. So he sent the track over to one of my friends and I laid the vocals down on it. And uh, I loved the song. I thought it was beautiful. And, um, and that's pretty much how it happened. So I was really grateful to be on that song um, because obviously Dalton is such a great artist. He's so talented. Um, and I was really honored that he asked me to uh, be on it. Yeah, like I remember him sitting over, I guess, some like rough demos of of that record, and I guess there's a, there's a version of it with just him, and mm-hmm. um, then there's obviously the version with you, and I I think like those two songs just because it was in the files it was right next to each other, but yours was second, and it just really made that song pop, and it just really. Um, where sometimes a song just needs another voice where it's coming from a different angle, you know? And I I think that like that really made that song work a whole lot better. Oh, well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah. So like you, you obviously, um, just released a, an EP last year back in the, 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 the fall, or I guess it was kind of like more August, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, well, it was the end of August. It was August 30th, which was my younger sister's birthday. So that was a good omen. But yeah, it was August. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember like listening to that and just like you could tell, or in my opinion, I'm probably projecting a little bit here, but you could tell that like you probably like grew up like listening to a lot of like 90s country and like singing along to people like Shania Twain and uh, Faith Hill and like the Dixie Chicks or, or the Chicks now. Um, You know, like, so is that kind of like what you did? Is that how you uh, grew up, like, singing along to a bunch of, like, song uh, country songwriters like that? Oh, yeah, totally. Like, I mean, my mom was a huge country music fan, and we grew. I grew up in a small town in uh, northern Saskatchewan, Canada, um, Hudson Bay. And, uh, you know, we only had one radio station. I didn't even know that... um, the Dixie Chicks back then, uh, that landslide was actually a cover because I had never heard of Fleetwood Mac before. I actually thought it was their song. So that's like how much I was raised on country music. That's kind of all I ever listened to was country music. And my grandparents actually raised me because we lived so close in the community and I was really close to my grandparents. And, you know, my grandpa taught me how to yodel when I was seven years old. And so I grew up on that kind of music, you know, Dolly Parton and Patsy Cline and, and, and stuff like that as well. Um, but yeah, I definitely uh, have a deep love and appreciation for artists like Leanne Womack and Shania Twain and uh, the Chicks and, and a bunch of those um, artists. So yeah, I definitely did grow up listening to, to 90s country for sure. Yeah, I... I um... I know like this is probably like overgeneralizing it, but because like you're from Saskatchewan and, uh, but obviously Shania Twain is from Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always think that like, you know, it's very important for, um, for artists to, to realize that like other artists can, can make it out of places that are similar to their own. Uh, it, it's like kind of a little bit of a boost in confidence and, 
you know, a little bit of a, yeah, like I came from rural wherever. Uh, this person came from rural where, wherever. And it just, like, like I said, uh, a little bit of a boost in confidence, a little bit of like people like us can do that. Was, was Shania like somebody like that for you growing up? Or was it more just she was just part of the, the, the group in general? Oh, yeah. I mean, like my mom has a video of me at six years old um, where I'm singing uh, just a cappella along with the stereo. And, um, you know, I was always singing like you could never get me to stop singing. Like even now, I'm literally always got some sort of melody happening in my head that I always am singing out loud. Um, but my mom, I was, you know, six and she was like, Kelsey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was like, I want to be a singer. And she was like, who do you want to be like? And I was like, I want to be Shania Twain. I want to be like Shania Twain. And so, I mean, I remember watching, there's a, uh, I don't know, it was like a movie that came out on Shania Twain. It was a long time ago now, probably I'd say like 15 years ago, I was in high school and I remember watching it and it kind of like explained Shania Twain's life and where she grew up and how she grew up. And, you know, she grew up very poor, obviously in, in a small town in Ontario and, and, uh, you know, her mom used to drive her everywhere to every singing competition. And, you know, she was playing bars at nine years old and all that sort of stuff. And it was so funny to me because I was like, Oh my gosh, that was my childhood. And that's, you know, that's how I grew up was my mom literally used to take me to any radio station. I was like on TV at four and five years old. Like it, I mean, it was just, you know, it was really funny how similar are, you know, the way that we were, um, I guess, raised and like raised up doing country music was. And so, I mean, Shania Twain is definitely a huge inspiration for me because, you know, she, she came from nothing and, and now she's, you know, a suit, a world superstar. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I always find super important and essential to, um, Shania Twain and like the Dixie Chicks is that even though like you, you did mention Landslide being a cover, but a lot of those songs were written by them. And I think that is, um, that's very important that they weren't just, they're, they're just not for the most part, um, just singing. They're not just interpreting songs. They're writing these songs. And, um, did, at what point did you realize that like, Oh, you know, all these songs that are, that Shania Twain singing, you know, she's, she's also like writing or co-writing them. I, I mean, I knew that from a young age, um, because I sang, you know, a ton of Shania Twain songs. I listen to her all the time. Um, I don't really know when I, you know, found out that information. I think I was probably seven years old. And I mean, I was already like, when I was five, I started writing songs and obviously like they would are never, they're not songs that I would ever sing out. Um, but like, I mean, I started writing songs when I was five and, I mean, I always loved, you know, being able to express my feelings through a song. And so, you know, when I hear like really any artist that, you know, is a, is a, is a writer or co-writer on their songs, it just, I mean, I think it's so important, like, cause you know, on my record that I released last year, every song I had writing on and two of the songs were actually solo rights, um, and I mean, I've, I've always just loved expressing myself through music and singing, but 
you know, especially on the writing side, because I always think that there's someone out there who has, you know, gone through something that, you know, somebody hasn't put quite put into words yet. And if you can touch that person and, you know, pull that emotion that they're feeling out from them in a song that you've written and you've been a part of, you know, people are always going to be able, you know, the listener is always going to be able to believe you because, you know, if you're singing a song that you wrote, that you had a part in, I think you're almost extra attached to it. So you almost have more like emotional, you know, you, well, I guess you just have more emotion in when you're singing it, when you're talking about it, um, when you're playing it, you know? So I think it's really important uh, that artists do have a part in all of the creative process when it comes to writing the song, singing the song, and even, you know, input in the production. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, this is obviously never really happened to me, but like, is it, is it strange like that first time someone comes up to you and says, Oh, that song really reminds me of, and then applies it to their life like applies it to their life. Yeah. Like where they're like, Oh, that song was super important to me because I felt that because, and you said this and it, you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. What, uh, was, is that strange? Like, does that ever get like, I I'm assuming it doesn't get old when people no, say No, 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 no. It never gets old. I mean, I am so just like humbled and grateful every time someone comes up and tells me how a song that I had a part of writing and singing, touch them, you know, like I have, I've had people drive, you know, like seven hours, one way to come see me perform a show, um, just to hear one song that I had sang this, you know, like for instance, there was this, um, there was this one man who he came, he drove seven hours one way to see, you know, my 30 minutes that I was opening up for this band up here in Canada. And it was just me and my guitar. And, you know, he came up to me after the show and he said, you know, that song that you sang, I was um, ready to commit suicide. And uh, I was, you know, just looking, you know, I was going to commit suicide the next day. And I was just on my phone, you know, searching music and your song popped up in my phone, which was my song More Time. And he said that, he thought about his daughter and he decided that he wasn't going to commit suicide and that I'd saved his life Um, or that that song had saved his life. And that was just like the most, like the biggest compliment. It was just so amazing. And I just like, like it's, it actually gets me emotional thinking about it now because it's like, like music is so important. And if you can help somebody out in any way, um, that's the reason right there why I do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, what's it's strange is that, um, like it, it's really an interesting thing where you as a songwriter, you have so much ownership of that song and you have so much, uh, attachment to it. But once you release it, like it becomes, it, it like it, it can become someone else's song and it feels like, you know, there's a, a million songs that you've heard on the radio or on a record that you go, that's my song. And you like, you, all of a sudden, even though you didn't write it or anything like that, you feel like you have a little bit of ownership because it applied to a specific memory in your life or like, a, you know what I mean? And that's, totally. that's really interesting to like how art can do that. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's it's I I'm still blown away every time like an artist does that to me, you know, because I've been having like those little, like, uh, you know, ever since I started listening to music, like music has always, I've always used it for like, you know, a a form of self-expression, um, in one way or the other. And, you know, one of my, like, I think one of the most intense songs like that has ever like really like made me feel something like extra ordinary was um jason isbell's song elephant and it's about uh someone who has cancer and eventually dies from cancer and i mean i had cancer when i was 17 and and that song was just like i remember hearing it for the first time and i'll never forget it because it was just like holy crap this person has never gone through what i went through but i feel like they have because like everything that they're saying in this song is exactly how i felt And, you know, like, it's just, I mean, it's just amazing. It's just amazing that, you know, I mean, to be able to do it for other people is, you know, just as amazing, you know, when somebody, when another artist does it for you, it's incredible. But when you as the artist can do it for listeners, it is just, you know, you just feel so humbled. Yeah. That, that Jason Isbell song is so heavy. I know. There's. I've, it's one of those songs where um, the first time you listen to it, you get it. But then like the hundredth time you like, there's something where you're like, I guess like just the process of working that song out, you can just feel like there's other things that pop out and you feel like, um, I guess like I just, I pulled up the lyrics cause I needed to go to a certain lyric. There's like this one line in here that like, just floors me every time I hear it. And that's the, the line about, um, where is it at? Uh, like the the line about like nobody dies with dignity. Like that is like such a sad line because it's like you have all these people that in your life, um, especially, especially like when your parents and your grandparents start getting up in age where, you your entire life you've thought of them as like these very strong people and if you've ever experienced someone passing away um who's obviously um really close to you you feel them kind of like fading away and it's very very hard and for whatever reason like he's like Jason was able to just capture that and put it in like just even specifically that line, it just feels, you just feel that so much more. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, man, that, that song is, um, I've, I've seen Jason a a few times play, but only one time, uh, did he play that song and it was one of those, you could, um, you could hear like the, the proverbial pin drop in the room, you know, and it was just a, um, it wasn't like a, a a theater room. It was like a a bar room kind of setting even. And it was just so Mm -hmm. powerful. Hello. Uh, Are you still there? Oh yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Cut out for a second. Okay. Uh, yeah. I was just saying how just, it was just like a, you know, a, a powerful moment and it, it's one of those things I'll never forget is like just watching him play. You kind of feel like a little bit of a, 
a surrealness because you're like, oh, I've listened to this song a million times, but now he's like playing it. They're like, somehow don't forget this moment. Right. Oh, I could like, I mean, I could only imagine I've Jason Isbell is one of those artists that I've wanted to see for forever. I got to see him one time at the basement East, but he was singing with his wife. Um, and so, I mean, I only got to sing him, see him sing with her. Right. But I mean, uh, it is like one of my bucket list goals is to like hear him play, you know, just pretty much, I mean, all of his songs, but I would love to hear him play elephant one day because I mean, it just, those one of those songs that just made me like took me and, you know, the, I could, couldn't stop crying. It was just, it was such a good um, emotional release to listen to that song. This episode is sponsored by Wicker's Mesquite Smoked Jalapeno Jelly. It's owned and operated by my buddy Wes Wicker, who makes the jelly in small batches for the best quality and freshness. He smokes the peppers with mesquite and uses pure cane sugar to make the jelly. What you get is this great blend of smoky, sweet, and spicy. It's addictively savory. For those uninitiated, Wicker's is a great addition to any chef's kitchen. Part of what makes Wicker's so great is just how versatile it really is. For starters, it makes a great meat glaze. Throw it on a batch of hot wings, use it on some pork ribs, some pork chops, really whatever you can think of. Eat it on biscuits, cornbread, bagels, or toast. Throw it on a ham or turkey sandwich. Another super simple but effective way is to get some cream cheese, throw some Wickers on top, and then grab your favorite cracker. Wickers is currently stocked at a handful of places in Lubbock and on the South Plains, as well as some Fort Worth and DFW locations. But the easiest way to get your hands on a jar is to head over to WickersTX.com. That's W-I-C-K-E-R-S-T-X.com. I'll throw a link into the show notes for good measure. They currently come in two varieties, original and now hot, if you need just a little bit more kick in your bite. You can order anything from one jar to a case of 12, whatever fits your needs. Again, that's wickerstx.com. Okay, back to the show. Yeah, now you, you mentioned having cancer when you were a teenager. Um, like, I... What happens, like, I've obviously, I've never experienced anything remotely close to that. What happens when you're, you're talking about, you know, your mother um, taking you to radio stations and playing uh, shows like that, county fair kind of stuff, and what happens whenever you have to kind of, like, just put all of that off to the side and something super way more important and impacting on your life is, takes the forefront what happens there what do you what did you do well you know honestly I think I always tell people this I know it's a bit strange but I always say that you know having cancer was one of the best things that ever happened to me because I think it made it made me more aware of everything in life and it it made me you know, so much more grateful. Not that I was never a grateful person because I always have been a grateful person, but, um, it just makes you, it just opens your eyes and it takes you to this place that not many people get to go and you experience so much, you know, of your own, uh, fears. Like, you know, you're faced with your literal, literal death, you know, like the possibility of it. Right. And then you, are surrounded by other people that are also facing that reality. 
And I mean, I think it made, it's, it made me a better artist. It made me more passionate. It made me more, um, you know, empathetic. And I've always been super empathetic, like as, I mean, I'm probably too empathetic now, but, uh, it, I think it just made me a better, it made me an all around better person and a better artist because, um, I think I take things. I mean, when I go to create a song, I really like think about the people that I met and, you know, I always try to sing for them. You know, there's a lot of people that I met that, you know, passed away and they didn't get to like young people and older people and middle-aged people. Like, you know, it was just one of those experiences that, you know, it put my music on hold for a while, but it was for the best. It was the best thing that happened for my music because it just made me appreciate it so much more. And uh, it made me do it, do music for something more than myself. Yeah. Um, it's, I think like it has to be one of those things where, you know, as part of like the maturation process, I don't think like people usually start feeling, um, empathetic until usually like after they've like after high, after your teenagers, you, you feel like you're so, um, self-absorbed because like you're told like forever that like you can conquer the real world. And so it's not until after you probably have kids a lot of times where people start really becoming empathetic and start thinking about others. But it feels like when for something like that to happen to you at such a young age, like you have to, did it feel like you, you grew up quicker in that? Oh, 100%. Period? It yeah, just... 100%. Like I never, you know, it's crazy. Cause like, I, so I was at the end of high school. So like, at, you know, my last year, my senior year and I was 17. So it was May I was diagnosed and then I turned 18. Um, and I was still going through chemo, uh, for a while after that. But I just, you know, as, you know, it was so interesting cause I felt like I just, you know, I always felt like I didn't fit in, but like after going through that experience, I was like, man, I really don't fit, fit in with people my age because I feel like, I mean, you know, growing up is a part of life and, and, you know, I feel like I was, I was just, just put on a really fast track to growing up and I, like, but I'm super grateful for it because, you know, the things that, you know, most people think matter, you know, even when you're in your thirties and forties and, and all that sort of stuff, when, you know, you see what actually matters, you know, and what's important. And so I think it, you know, it made me, it definitely made me grow up, um, really, really quickly. Uh, but that was good because I mean, I think that, you know, you need some sort of tough experience in one way or the other. Like there's not an artist, pretty much not an artist out there like that, you know, that are my really good friends and stuff like, you know, they've all gone through something hard, um, and experienced something that has made them grow up quickly. And I think that that's, especially songwriters anyways. I mean, that's why we do what we do is because, you know, you know, we've kind of lived it. And so we want to be able to share our experiences with other people because somebody out there has definitely lived what we've lived, you know? Right. It feels like you could, it's, I'm sure like, obviously you've, you've come out of this where you're like a lot more passionate about life, about like the, the important things. It feels like it could easily be where you could become so jaded about life though, too. 
where right. why is this happening to me? Did, did, yeah. did any of that happen? No, I mean, I never ever thought like that. Um, I, I definitely met people that did think like that. And I think that because, I mean, everybody has their own process and the way that they deal with things. Um, and so I'm not going to judge anybody's process, uh, because it's like, it's not like going through cancer is a walk in the park. You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't right. wish it on my worst enemy, but, um, <clears throat> I think that I looked at people cause like when you're going through chemo, you're in a room, if you're not living in the hospital, you're in a room with a bunch of people, other people getting cancer or sorry, getting chemo. And so, you know, you talk to the people beside you cause you have nothing else to do. And, you know, you hear other people, the way that they look at life and, and, um, you know, the, the, the nurses would grab me out of my bed and cause I, like I, I've always been very positive and the nurses, they'd be like, grab me out of my bed and they'd be like, this person really needs, um, they really need your, you know, your inspiration and your positivity right now. Can you come and talk to them? And, you know, when I'd have these conversations with these people that were really down, um, I always just thought it was such a waste of an opportunity uh, to, you know, uh, t- to to feel bad for yourself because, um, you know, uh, it, it, I don't know. I, like I, I loved going around and being a positive person to everybody because, you know, I felt like I was focusing on someone else other than my problems, right, and my fears and my struggles. Um, and it just made me become a better person. Uh, there's a lot of people that were, super inspiring, incredible people, um, in the hospital as well. But you, you would find the odd person that was a little bit negative and, and, um, you know, feeling sorry for themselves and stuff. And, uh, I mean, I always tried my best to, to make them see or to try and make them see, uh, you know, their situation in a different light. But yeah, there definitely was people that, um, you know, there's a lot of people that looked at it as a positive or like, you know, a, a learning lesson or something like that. Uh, but there was definitely people that, um, looked at it as a very bad thing and, uh, you know, yeah. which it is, it's not, I mean, they're not lying. Yeah. But, that's what I know, was going to say. It's, it's, you know, it, it is a shows of your character of like, you know, the worst things that you go through and how you respond to them, you know? Yeah. Cause I, you know, it, it is, it's such a, it's one of those things where they're technically, they're not wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's, I don't know how, how to, how, how I would be able to, like, I hope I never have to try and, um, come to terms with any of that kind of thing. But, you know, it's, it's a little bit of the way I probably think about with, um, with mental health is Mm -hmm. that like, there's other things, like just because something doesn't work for me doesn't mean it can't work for someone else. Right. And. Um, that's, I don't know, like, that's the, the only way I can really apply it, like, or uh, rationalize it in a way, or like apply it to what I am thinking about, you know? Um, Mm. but I don't know. It's, uh, it's just so, it must be just one of like, obviously the hardest thing you've gone through. Um, but like, obviously you've, you've also gotten so much out of it too, you know? So, um, well, I mean. Honestly, I wouldn't even say that it was the hardest thing that I went through because I don't know. I just, it, it really wasn't the hardest thing I went, I've like, you know, I've gone through like 
heartbreak and I, I find like heartbreak is is almost the worst thing that's happening because um like you know well I mean like cancer obviously I mean it's its own league you know what you, you know you just said something about mental health and I, because I mean you know I mean obviously cancer had some effect on my mental health in in the sense that you know I mean I was bald and you know, when you're a 17 year old girl and you're bald and you don't feel pretty and all that sort of stuff, that's like a hard thing to go through. Um, but I think that like I, the way that I looked at going through cancer was like, okay, well, I'm, this is just a test. This is of something that's going to make me stronger, uh, and, and better. And so I'm going to, you know, take it like, this is something that, you know, I have like, you know, I may not be able to control what's going on within my body, but I'm, you know, I'm, I can control my mind. And I'm going to only look at the positive because I mean, I can control that, you know? And I think that with like, you know, say something like heartbreak or mental health, I mean, that's something that a lot of times, I mean, you know, heartbreak is always involved with another person and you can't control really like if you can control how you feel, but also you can't at the same time. And then with mental health, you really can't control how you feel, you know, because it's, you know, it's all to do with, you know, that, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. Uh, I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong. Cancer is really, really hard. Um, and, and it's, and I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. It's, I don't know, every mental health, everything has its own, you know, hardships in it. So I guess that's where I'm going to leave it at that. Because for me, the, I just kind of like looked at it as if, I mean, I'm going to just look at the positives and I'm going to try and be the most positive that I can, because I can control that. Um, and it just made the experience, I think a lot more easier because I was looking at it that way and it went, and it was easier, easier for the people around me. Did you, did you continue writing during all of this? Oh yeah. I mean, I wrote all the time. I think that was like the reason why I stayed uh, sane was because I was writing, you know, because there's a lot of like, I mean, I never really ever felt bad for myself, but I always felt bad for the people around me. Like, I just felt so sad for them, like people that were, you know, given three months to live and, um, people that, you know, were like, you know, their cancer came back and they passed away a few months later. And then I always felt bad for their family and stuff. Um, so I think that, you know, it was just, yeah. Um, sorry, what was your question again? No, no, no. I was just saying, you know, did, did you continue writing during all this? Oh, yeah. You, right. Yes. You know? So I did. I mean, yeah. I think that all these other people's experiences, I mean, in my own experience, I wrote through the emotions that I was feeling, which probably saved me, like just saved my mental state. Mm-hmm. You mentioned heartbreak and obviously a lot of the songs on this EP, they deal with heartbreak. Um is that a is that an emotion an emotion difficult to travel back to when you're writing because uh, obviously you're probably not writing it as something as it's happening uh, I don't know heartbreak is is kind of like always been something that's been really easy for me to write about write about um I don't know if it's because of you know, seen a lot of heartbreak in my life. Um, but not for me, but just people around me that I've known. Um, yeah, heartbreak is, uh, I mean, I've definitely gone through 
times where like I've been going through heartbreak and I've been just literally writing songs like every day, like wake up and go to sleep writing songs. Um, but it's not, no, it's, it's definitely something, it's an easy, it's an easy emotion for me to get to. Yeah. Uh, that first song, uh, roll with it. Mm -hmm. You really set the, I feel like you set like the the table with that line about Mr. Brightside playing. Um, was that, is that based off of like something that really happened? Yeah. You know, um, that song was, that was one of my solo write songs. I wrote that song by myself in like 20 minutes. Um, I just got into a fight with my then partner and, uh, I was just, I went, I was so mad and, uh, I went into, uh, the bedroom uh, with my guitar and, um, I just, I, it was just, I'm like, I just knew that I was going to write a song and, um, that's happened with me a bunch where I was just kind of like, you know, they say that you like connect to something higher than yourself and you just let the words flow onto the paper. And it was just, I mean, I didn't even really, to be honest with you, like when I was writing the song, I was like, I don't even know what this means. You know, at when, at the time that I was writing with it, I just know what it feels like, you know? And, and, uh, and yeah, that song, um, that song was really important because I think it was, you know, those time that time I was being super honest with myself and I didn't even know it then, you know? Yeah. Like what it felt like to me listening to that song is like in the, you see a couple fighting, maybe not like yelling at each other, but like it, there's been something there and it feels like where we just like get transported to the, the silence between the two and like you're mm-hmm. listening to just what you're thinking in your, the, in the back of your head. And I don't know, like it just, it feels like very much like where you're kind of like, it it just captured that, uh, that, you know, just the the tension in the room, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I always like that. The, the line about Mr. Brightside, because like, I think everyone, that's a touchstone for a lot of people too. Just thank you. The the, the popular. Yeah, no, I, uh, that's, everybody says that too. Everybody says they just love that line. And I mean, I, I love that song that like, I mean, you know, the killer song, Mr. Brightside. I mean, that's, you know, I've listened to that song ever since I was a teenager and, um, yeah, I mean, no, it's definitely, uh, it is what roll with. It's one of my favorite songs, uh, that I've ever written just because I think it was, I don't know. It was like a, a realization that took me a long time to realize, (laughs) but, uh, (laughs) Yeah, it's one of my favorite songs, so I'm I'm glad you like it. Yeah, so you know, you were talking about pen to paper. Do you do you typically write pen to paper, or are you more of a MacBook or something? Or like, no, where do I you have. Usually... I literally bought a MacBook for songwriting. Okay, and mm-hmm. I never used it. Never, <laughs> not for one song. Um, except for now because of COVID. Um, and so like you're zooming and you know, you have like your computer and it's kind of just like up and easy to do it that way. But no, I mean, I've got my mom, my poor mom, she has tons and tons and tons of books that I mean, I've been songwriting since I was, I mean, I didn't write actually on pen and paper when I was five, but like when I actually started my first like songwriting, I was like 13. And so, I mean, you know, my mom has tons and tons of books filled with songs that I probably couldn't even 
you know, remember, because I mean, it's just, I've always been writing on like pen to paper. There's something that's like a little bit more natural about it. Um, and it kind of like makes you focus more and, and it's, I don't know, it's, I, I definitely like writing pen to paper so much better. Yeah. Um, like I, I feel like with anything physical, like it, it's a little bit more intentional. And so, right. um, now like for me, like I almost write anything right on my Mac. So it's, I, I, if, but if I'm having trouble, I'll go and like jot, I'll start writing something somewhere else. And right. hopefully that'll like break the, the quote unquote writer's block or something, or get me onto whatever I am trying to figure out for an article. But I think there's something just like that when it's, you're writing and you're touching a pen and it's like, you feel that, um, you feel like it hitting a paper, obviously. And it, it, I don't know, it just, it, I think you have to be a lot more intentional and more in the moment. Totally. What do you typically, like, what is it usually that first kicks a song off for you? Like that makes it where you're like, you have that, you know, the lightning bulb hits you and you're like, oh, this is something I want to try and make into a song. What is it typically... What's that process typically like? Is it usually you start with an idea, lyrics, a melody? What are you typically kind of looking for? Typically, it's a feeling. Um, it's just this. I know it's um, it's kind of hard to describe. Like for my process, it's a feeling. Um, it's always been a feeling. Any any of my favorite songs and the songs that I've like really loved, um, it's always been you know, a feeling. And, um, you know, either I write, start writing a lyric or I start humming a melody or I start, you know, playing on the guitar and then everything else flows. It really just depends. Um, but it's the first thing that starts is, is a feeling. And then it just kind of runs from there. Like, I mean, there's a few songs that, you know, I was in the shower and I just started singing a melody with some lyrics and I literally hopped out mid shower and wrote the song in like 30 minutes. Um, you know, sometimes it's an idea. Sometimes it's something that somebody says, but mostly it's a feeling. Yeah. I think the, the shower moments, the shower thoughts thing is like, obviously when I'm just, uh, applying it to me when I'm like taking a shower or brushing my teeth or washing dishes is like whenever I usually get like some kind of good idea for yeah. something. And I think a lot of songwriters, it's like, it's a great, um, where you can just go on autopilot because like <laughs> you've done it a million times. So then totally. you're, you're able to just think about other things. Um, what is like your usually like how, when you write something, do you, how often do you go back to it and start editing it, editing it? Or do you, is it usually, what, what's that usually like? Not often. I don't think I've done that too many times, to be honest with you. I typically, if I'm writing something by myself, it's usually not often. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't even know if I've done that by myself, maybe once or twice. Um, but, uh, sometimes with other co-writers, we'll come back to a song if somebody else isn't feeling it. But like, there's a lot of times that like, if I'm just like, sometimes a song is just supposed to be written the way that it is. Um, I don't edit often. And I know that like, you know, I've watched a ton of documentaries on songwriters and like Jackson Brown was like infamous for like editing and all that. And Sam Hunt, like, you know, it takes them like six rights to write a song. Um, but like, 
I mean, I typically don't do that. Um, I like to take my time. I mean, if it's not coming out, I'll come back to it. Uh, but I'm never going to finish a song that I don't think is right. Um, there'll be times where I get half of a song and then I come back to it later to finish it. But yeah, I don't typically go back to edit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like you, I don't know, like a lot of times I think that this probably applies a lot to whenever you actually cut the song too, is I feel like artists sometimes overly nitpick something where mm-hmm. you kind of have lost whatever that was that initially sparked the song. And like, it's, it's always good to like go back and like make sure it all makes sense and stuff like that. But sometimes like songs are just, you know, they're Polaroids. Yeah. So um, totally. So like, what is like, do you try and keep like a a schedule of like, I try and write once a day kind of thing, or is it more, a lot more spontaneous than that? Uh, Typically it's a lot more spontaneous. I mean, like what, you know, cause I, you know, lived in Nashville and then it, you know, it got really monotonous to write every day, sometimes twice a day. Like that gets like a little bit tiring and almost like creatively drying, like the well, the well runs dry, um, when you're writing so often, but, um, but I mean, I think I, the way that I like to write is just on my own time. And whenever I have like an idea or a feeling, you know, um, so I think that's, you know, I don't really like to, I'm not a schedule person. I've never been a schedule person. I'm like, Oh, two in the morning, I've got an idea. Great. Let's write it. Um, I'm not like a, okay, I'm going to sit down at this time or I'm not going to, you know, today, maybe I'll today, maybe I won't, you know, I'm, I'm never the type of person that's going to try and force, um, creative creativity, because I find that, you know, I've done that before and it's just never worked out the way that I've wanted it to. Yeah. It it feels like when you, especially if you're trying to do like that two rights a a day or something, or like you, you have your scheduled out and you have, you know, five rights for a week or whatever the case is, it, it feels like that could be very, um, intimidating in a way because like you're like oh man I have to constantly be looking for song ideas is that kind of did you did you even feel do you feel that whenever it was like that well whenever it was like what sorry well, uh, like whenever you said like you when you've written in Nashville whenever you're you have like that scheduled out like oh I need to write I'm gonna be writing with somebody here writing with someone here writing with someone here uh that kind of thing do you is it, is it intimidating as far as like thinking like, oh man, the pressure is on that I need to have all these ideas and just like can never really turn it off? I've definitely felt that way before for sure. It's um, sometimes almost when you're like, and then too, when you're nervous, like the, I don't know, the creativity, it just, I feel like it's like, oh, just kidding. I'm not creative anymore. Like you could have had a really good day if you didn't psych yourself out, you know, and put the pressure on yourself. Because once you put the pressure on yourself, it doesn't even, it doesn't become what you loved in the first place. So I definitely have had that feeling where, you know, I've been, I've stressed myself out where it's been like, oh, why did I do that? Like that could have been, you know, so much better if I hadn't have worked myself up over it, you know? This episode is sponsored by The Blue Light Live, my all-time favorite music venue and bar. As you know, the COVID-19 pandemic has been difficult on small businesses, music venues, bars, and musicians. 
There are a handful of ways that you can help, though. For starters, go over to www.bluelightlubbock.com, click on the Merch tab at the top of the page, and order yourself a Blue Light hat, t-shirt, and koozie. Second, if you haven't purchased Monday Night Lights, a 50-song compilation of Lubbock songwriters organized by songwriter and photographer extraordinaire Charlie Stout and myself, head over to www.mondaynightlights.com. The proceeds of this 50-song collection go directly to the bartending staff. We launched it a few months back, and we were blown away by the response and reception. And of course, if you're just hearing about it now, go ahead and get it today. This collection will never be on iTunes or on Apple Music, so the only spot you'll be able to get it at is at mondaynightlights.com. I'll throw both links into the show notes for easy access. All right, back to the show. Yeah. What was like your, like the first co-write like? Were you like super nervous? Well, I was, I mean, man, I've been co-writing for a really long time. Um, I don't think, I think because like the first co-write I was in Canada, it was kind of casual. It was with um, like a, a guitar teacher and it was very just um I was very relaxed because he kind of let me lead and it was yeah no it wasn't you know it wasn't scary at all I think maybe my first co-write in Nashville though that was a little bit intimidating because I was writing with songwriters that have written for Al um George Strait and Alan Jackson and uh, Faith Hill and and so that was really intimidating I was like man what am I doing here in this room with these people um but my first co-write, I think it was pretty easy, actually, because I'd been writing by myself. And so I had like a little bit of confidence. And it, because it was such an easy atmosphere, I think that's why I wasn't intimidated with it. Yeah. And I'm sure like you, you knew that person more so than yeah. just like walking into the room. Yeah, I did. Um, what is like, what is it like, I guess like I, I'm kind of infatuated with the the co-writing I guess, environment, the, the ecosystem of co-writing in Nashville, because it seems that, um, there's like a million ways to do it. And then also like, there's all these ideas that we have as like what's happening in these co-writing sessions. Um, it, it, you mentioned like he kind of let you lead that first time. Yeah. Uh, is that typically like, what, how is that usually whenever you're writing with someone? You... Well, it really just depends. I mean, there's some people that are bossier in a right compared to others. Like, I mean, with some people, I find that like I'm more bossy. And then other times in other rights, I find like these other people are, you know, I've been in rights where I've been bossy and other rooms where other people have been bossy. And, you know, it's kind of worked out both ways, really. Does it take, does it typically take someone taking like the reins and kind of leading for, for, like, well, I think there's always got to be somebody who's taking the reins and leading. Um, I mean, like, I, you know, there's sometimes that people just work really well together too, where there's like kind of like everybody's kind of like adding in to the right, um, you know, but if nobody's doing that, then somebody has to do it. Um, otherwise then the song just won't get written. Um, and then there's sometimes people that just like steamroll the right and then it doesn't come out the way that you want it. So that's not good either. Um, I think the most important thing in a co-write is, you know, if you vibe well with the other person, like you got to get along with them. You kind of got to get to know each other, like, you know, talk it out. And I mean, like there's been co-writes where I've like sat and cried with somebody that I've just met. Um, like, 
and like we wrote a beautiful song. Like there's been times where that's happened and times where like, you know, there's literally been times where like, you know, there's a song that I wrote with Kylie Sackley and Oren Thornton and, uh, and we all cried. Like, you know, it was just, we, you know, you can get like, it's sometimes like being in a writer's room with people, you know, it's just the most inspirational, honest, raw, um, just amazing thing because, you know, you connect with somebody like soul to soul and heart to heart and you just really like kind of just almost see them like as they are. And it's just, you know, songwriting can just be, if like once you get into that room and have that sweet spot with a writer, like, you know, there's no going back and, you know, it's just kind of like a, a, a life, a lifelong, um, I don't know how to say it, like a, a lifelong friend almost, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of, you've connected over something and you've bonded over something and you know, that's something that'll never be taken away. Yeah. Well, it, from an outside perspective, it, what it feels like when something like that happens is that you are like, you've fast tracked a, a friendship and where you've like cut through all of the, I don't know, like the gentle exchanges of like, Hey, how are you doing? Oh, my day's good. You know, you've, you've cut through all like the minutia and gotten like both to something that you guys are like, Hey, I went through this and you went through something very similar. And that's like, whatever it is, like you, like, it's like, um, a friendship that has been like, where you didn't have to get to know each other so quickly. Uh, and you guys went like straight to, something that you guys bonded over. Totally. Yeah. It's definitely, I mean, you know, the best days are the days that you connect and you make a friend and, you know, you get to the real stuff, you know, I've, I mean, I've always been that type of person that always loves to have a real one-on-one conversation with somebody. I'm not the type of person that like likes to party and, you know, go out and talk with people about face value things. It's just never been, something that I enjoy. I mean, there's always a time and a place for it. Um, I guess, but that's just not something that I typically enjoy to do. I love to get to the, get to the goods really quickly. So, I mean, that's one of I think that's one of the things that I really enjoy about songwriting is that you can connect with people on a deeper level than you normally would have. So I definitely think that, I mean, I've made so many friends in writer rooms, um, that like, you know, will always be my friend. Yeah. I, I think there's this thing, that I've like kind of just called like musician talk where me as a, as a journalist talking to a musician, um, usually like by like the third or fourth time, we don't have to do all the, the small chit chat stuff and like working our ease our ways into an interview. Usually like, uh, that's the case. Like it's three or four interviews where we're able to just like, don't even have to do the, the small talk of it. And like, you're just able to get right into it. But musicians, a lot of the times I've noticed, especially songwriters, they can, they just cut through all that and they just go straight to like talking about whatever. And it just, it seems a lot more like, um, like there's this unwritten code of like, we don't have to do all the, all that other stuff. We can just start working. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, like, that's exactly what it's like. I mean, I've, 
not typically, I mean, the, the people that I've stayed close with are the people that I've like, you know, we've had real conversations immediately pretty much, you know, and you know, that's, that's one of my favorite things about being able to do music is that, you know, you get to connect with people on, on a deeper level and, you know, you see them and they see you and, and there's, you know, no judgment. It's just kind of, you know, it's, you know, you're connecting and you're, you know, writing, you're doing something, you're creating for a, for a, you know, a bigger purpose. Right. You mentioned a little bit earlier about how obviously the, the pandemic and, um, has, has just changed the way people are writing songs right now, that it's a lot more zoom FaceTime kind of co-writes the social distancing. Um, what, how has that changed like your artistic process and like, has it, has it made it harder to, to write? Yeah, you know, I've I've definitely written some good songs um, over Zoom, which I'm actually surprised about because I wasn't really excited to get into like the writing process um, over Zoom because I feel like it takes away something special. And um, I'm not going to lie, it definitely does take away something special. Um, you know, it's uh, I I I prefer to write in person. Um, you know, but I'm definitely grateful that we're able to write over Zoom and we're able to still connect with our friends and, and still try and create something really great. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely not the same. Yeah. Like just, you know, as for this podcast, I used to do it all in person because there is that extra thing where you can just like read someone a whole lot easier. And now, obviously, I've adapted and we're doing this via phone call and it's working out fine. But like, it's also like you can when you when you do like, I don't know, 20 of these like this, all of a sudden, then you realize just like all the little points where it can easily just like screw up, like just on like a technical technology level. And uh, I'm assuming that's the same way with with a, a Zoom co-write of. Like, even if you know that person really, really well and you guys are onto something, there's all those little points where technology can just screw everything up. Oh my goodness. It's crazy. It's just like, there's been, there's been times where I literally was just sitting on the other side of Zoom trying to literally make out a word, a melody, anything. And it's just been... Ugh, you know, because everybody's working from home, so the Wi-Fi is slower, and it's just uh, it it. Uh, there's definitely been times where it's been like so defeating, and it's like, man, you know, there's just you know, we could do so much more if we were doing this in person. But um, yeah, it's okay. It's you know, it is what it is, and you just kind of got to take the good with the bad, and you know, hopefully sooner than later we'll be able to get into writing rooms again. Yeah. Um- Obviously, you've been also releasing a few singles as of late. Um, is this are these like part of a a forthcoming record? Uh, with what? Oh, I've seen like you've you've released a few different singles as far as like Fighter and Bad Guy and songs like. That. Oh yeah, so those I mean, so Bad Guy and and Dreams and and uh, Look at Her Now, like those are songs kind of just like for 
something to have out there in between the next single that we're releasing. So like a fighter is actually something that I didn't write that whole song. I wrote it with like kind of a group of people, uh, which is like under this, um, this organization called Hookist and they re- they have like people that do a subscription monthly subscription to write songs with songwriters and, and artists. And so, uh, you know, the fighter, I actually, I didn't release that song. It was Hookist that released it. Um, okay. with me singing on it, I wrote it with these people that, um, are a part of Hookist. And so that actually wasn't really in the plan at all. Uh, on like my side and the label side or anything like that. I actually didn't really know that they were going to release it until uh, much later on after we wrote it, um, like maybe a couple months ago. But uh, we're actually coming out with a new single in, I think it's going to be out in August. We just got into the studio, finished vocals, and it's getting mixed this week. So um, I'm going to be releasing uh, my first single in a while since Roll With It anyways. So I'm really excited about that. It's, uh, I mean, it, you know, as an artist, you, it's like, you know, when you release a song, it's like, okay, when can we re- release the next one? So I've, I've kind of been like really anxious to get this song out. It's pretty cool because it's, um, it's like a sort of like a rebirth, uh, this song. Um, it was, I wrote, wrote it with Jeff Trott who, uh, wrote, um, all the Sheryl Crow not all of them, but a lot of the Sheryl Crow hits and he produced her stuff and he's actually producing this record that's coming out like the song. And, um, it was just one of those songs that just kind of fell out and it's super honest and it's, it's, uh, I'm really excited about it. Um, I, I'm, I can't wait to release it actually. Yeah. You know, like Sheryl Crow is one of those artists who like, I, I didn't realize how good she was and how like important she was until like much later in life. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, it felt like it was one of the, like she was somebody that like my mother listened to a whole lot more than I was listening to. And then later, you know, I was going back through her catalog and I'm like, just like, Oh my gosh. Like all of these mm-hmm. songs are just incredible. Um, and oh she's, yeah. Like, she's, she's just amazing. So like yeah. she's just a, she's a rock star. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I, I had one last thing here I was going to ask you about because yeah. I saw it in your bio and I was like, oh my God, she she knows the good stuff here. And that is like the, you have like this memory about the Kevin Sharp song, Nobody Knows and how like yeah. incredible that song is. I don't know. I've, I absolutely love that record that he put out uh, with Nobody Knows on it and mm-hmm. um you were talking, I guess like in your little, in the bio part, you talk about how you could empathize with that song and with your, your parents getting divorced, but like, obviously you were so young and it's such a, a rarity, I guess, like where you're able to feel somebody else's, uh, what they're going through while obviously you're not right in their, uh, in their shoes or, right. you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just that song on that. I will never forget that moment. Um, it's one of those like moments that, I mean, it kind of like first showed me what music can do for other people, um, as well as how important it is to, to, to write those songs for other people. Um, because it, there's, you know, there's so many people that use music as 
a way of a form of expression. Um, and they don't even realize it. Like, I honestly think that like, you know, my dad listening to that song, I don't even know if he knew, like, like I, I don't even know if he knew what, like he knew the song and he was singing, you know, he would, yeah, at least try and sing along with it. But I'll, I'll never forget him. Like we were driving in his truck and, and I remember him turning that song and he used to play it on repeat. And I remember thinking I was only seven years old at the time, but I remember thinking, you know, this is what music can do for people. And I could feel like I knew that my dad was really sad. And I just remember feeling so sad because I knew that he was so sad. I felt his, I just like felt so much empathy for him in that moment at seven. And it was kind of like, you know, I want to be able to help people like this one day. Yeah. That, uh, it's just like, you know, what's strange about that too. Like you saying something about that was obviously this, like that moment was, uh, it was like, you know, a monumental moment for you this is something that you'll never forget. But like you, you're saying like maybe he doesn't necessarily realize like it was a, such a, a monumental moment for you until much later, you know? Right. Have you guys talked about that or no? Uh, not really. <laughs> yeah. Well, my I, dad is like, my dad is like a really tough guy. He's not like one of those people that cries. Um, and so, you know, I don't, I think that's just something that like, you know, he knows that like I know, but we don't talk about it. Cause it's like, you know, he's just, you know, I don't think that he like realized that I understood what was going on back then, you know? And I think he might be like, I, you know, if we did talk about it, he might be like a little, you know, I don't know. He just, my dad's pretty shy about stuff like that. So I don't think that we've never talked about it anyways. And yeah. I don't think that we ever will. Yeah. Well, no, I, I didn't mean it necessarily in a, like, did you, like the, I guess, like I don't know, processing that kind of. Did you know that it was like you processing uh, heartbreak and stuff like that? I was more like I always find it strange where when you remember something as a kid that was super important, and then you tell that to your parents, and they're like, "What? What are you talking about?" And like you have mm-hmm. to really remind them of what it was, but for whatever reason, it stuck with you. Like that's right. I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. I actually haven't even asked my dad if he remembers playing that song. I mean, I'm sure he did because I swear he wore out that song on that record. Like he listened to it all the time. Um, and it's like, like my dad played that song so much that it was always stuck in my head. So whenever like, you know, my parents would switch, like my dad would bring me back to my, my sister and I back to our mom. I'd like, you know, be in the house and I'd be singing that song you know, cause I always sang mm-hmm. and she's like, is your dad listening to that song again? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, like my mom knew it was a thing. Right. And like, you know, I think she, like, I think my mom was kind of like, you know, like, you know, obviously my mom, like they were both sad, obviously, right. but I think my mom was kind of like, you shouldn't be playing that song so much in front of the girls. They're a lot smarter than what you, you know, than what you're realizing. <laughs> right. Cause like, I was always such an emotionally smart kid. I knew what I've always was empathetic and knew what people were feeling. It was just kind of like something that was like my burden to bear. Um, and so I know that my mom definitely remembers it. I don't know. I have, I'll have to ask my dad just maybe casually one time just to see, but I, I'm sure he 
definitely remembers playing it. Yeah. Maybe this is how you can get into it is like, hey, dad, have you ever read my bio before? Like, because <laughs> if he like, has, no, why like, would I do would... that? I know everything there yeah. is to know about you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, 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 uh, I jotted that down because, like, that song is such, like, I feel like it's so criminally underrated for 90s oh, country. Totally. And, but it's one of those things where, like, if you, if you, if I asked somebody if they knew that song, they would probably say no. But once you start playing it, they're like, oh my God, yes. I know exactly, yeah. you know, so, um, yeah, I don't know. Such a great song. Yeah. And actually he had cancer too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to so say crazy. like he, um, yeah, it's, uh, I would, I would encourage everyone to go check out that record that that's on. I can't think of what the record's called, but there's like three or four other pretty big hits off that record and it's, they're all great. So, yeah. um, yeah, it's been really great talking with you this afternoon. All right. Thanks for listening to New Slang. Be sure to hit that subscribe button. Check out the New Slang merch store. Check out episode sponsors, the Blue Light Live and Wicker's Jalapeno Jelly. We're done with this week, so I'll see y'all next week for another two episodes.